Matthew 28, verse 16 to, through 20. So Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. If everyone could stand with me. All right, let me read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is God's word and all God's people said. Amen. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, you are God of all authority. You have power over all things. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak to the church your words, Father. Please strengthen me. Give me wisdom. Give me courage, Father. Humble me, Father. Let me be your mouthpiece, God. God, I pray that I don't hinder anything you want to be done in this church, God. I pray that these words are your words, God, not my own. Father, let this church be encouraged today as I speak. And Father, let us put into practice what is said today. We love you, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, let's get started. <laughs> All right, so this um, concludes the book of Matthew. And so this takes place after the resurrection. It's also after the time when the 11 disciples previously saw Jesus offer his nail-pierced hands uh, to Doubting Thomas uh, to touch and see. Uh, they are meeting with the risen Lord, risen Jesus in Galilee. This is not their first meeting with the risen Lord. It is definitely one that we need to take note of, though. And so let's reread verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. <clears throat> so even being in the presence of the risen Lord, some still doubted. Um, and I don't think we need to show a lot of concern or criticize over the disciples doubting. I believe this is a type of doubt that is similar to when something happens to you and you tell yourself, um, this is too good to be true. I'm certain that soon after their doubts, it turned into worship. Meaning the closer and more time they were in his presence, the more, the more their faith grew and any doubts they had disappeared. I believe that's the only result of drawing near to Jesus, that your faith will grow. So we should take doubt as a sign that we need to draw closer to Jesus. And when we see similar doubt in a fellow believer, we don't criticize them, but we help them draw closer to Jesus. And so let's reread verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We know what's coming directly after this sentence. It's the Great Commission. But in this sentence, Jesus prefaces the Great Commission by telling his disciples who he is and what he can do. He has authority over everything. He has power over all things. This is evidence that the Great Commission is an authoritative command, not a suggestion. Something we don't choose to do, but something we have to do. People in the military can attest to this, and I think Roy can attest to this, that um, if you have someone in a higher rank and they tell you to do something, but you don't do it, they like to remind you of their rank. 
They like to remind you of their authority they have over you. And why do they do this? Um, it's to show that it's not a suggestion, it's a command that you have to follow. And so Jesus telling us of his authority and then sharing the Great Commission uh, shows that this is a command that must be done. At the same time, this amazing revelation that he has all authority, it also means he has all the power. So it's not a question of can he get the work done through us. Of course he can and will. The problem is us. We treat it as a suggestion or with less severity than it deserves. And we don't focus on what means most to him. So how do we solve this problem? How can, be, how can we be ready for God to use us in this great commission? Uh, that leads to my title of this sermon, which is We Disciple and Obey. And so let's reread verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The command to make disciples of all nations, it's qualified by two activities, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Once a believer has declared allegiance to Christ through baptism, it's the responsibility of the local church to be the place where they can learn obedience to Christ's commands. Now, we may not all agree on how to complete this work, and we all have different gifts and talents, but we all have to agree on the importance of this work. A healthy church is a group of people intentionally living out the timeless, universal truths of the gospel within the context of a finite local community. I use the word finite because we have to use the unknown time we have purposefully and with godly intent. When Jesus makes a command, we follow. The command to make disciples of all nations sounds simple, but it is definitely not easy. He is telling us to baptize new believers and to teach them to obey all he commands. He wants us to follow in the footsteps of his teachings with the disciples. The disciples are students. He wants us to be as the 12 disciples in the gospel narrative, to become devoted followers of Jesus and together live out his teachings wherever he has placed us. Discipleship means helping believers live out the gospel, sharing life, and teaching others to obey God's word. Discipleship starts with the local church. For most of us here, it would be our house churches. Fathers, discipling sons, and as most of you know, I have a second son coming, so I have a lot to do. <laughs> so, um, mothers, discipling daughters, women, discipling other women, mature believers, discipling new believers. God designed all of this to be done within the local church. Discipleship also involves personally teaching how to pass the word of God on to others. It's not all about knowing about Jesus, but more about depending on Jesus. Opening up to each other about how God has been working in our lives. Um, so during the My Morning Greetings, I always encourage everyone to share how God has been working in your life. And the reason I do this is so that um, we acknowledge and trust the Lord's work in our life instead of our own effort. And so we depend upon him, not our own effort. And so hopefully when I say that, it encourages you and reminds you of just leaning upon Christ, um, not your own effort. Um, again, so we get to a place where we depend upon him, not ourselves. That's a life where victory lies. The simple part is knowing what needs to be done. It's clearly said in scripture that we just read. The hard part, like I said before, is doing it. Discipleship doesn't just happen. And it saddens me to say that our church might be proof of that. We have to be purposeful about it. It takes a baptized believer who obeys God's commands to think about someone 
in this congregation, in this church, who needs to learn how to do the same thing. When they find that person, they seek them out and take necessary action. Some good news and testament to why God's plan is always the best plan, why it always works and why discipleship is such a good plan, is that discipleship automatically produces more disciples. This is how God designed it. Discipleship doesn't stop until all have heard the good news and Jesus returns. In fact, Christians should continuously be growing in their faith. Um, if you reflect on your life and this past year and you feel like you haven't been growing in your faith or it's very slow growth, um, there's two things that can really help you. Seek out someone to disciple you. Now, you don't even have to wait for them to come to you. You can go to them. If you see some, a mature believer that you want to follow after, seek them out, ask them. And then the second thing is disciple someone else. There's always someone who can learn from you. And so seek them out, spend time with them. If you do these two things, I promise you, your faith will grow. We're called to make disciples of all nations. We never stop growing, even when discipling. So I always share this illustration, and it's always stuck with me. I think Pastor David told us about it, about discipleship, about point A and point B. And so um, if... Your disciple is at point A, the person you're teaching and trying to grow in the faith. And you're at point B. Your job is to try to get them from point A to point B. But at the same time, while you're trying to get them from point A to point B, you're trying to get to point C in your relationship with God. And so that when they get to point B, now you can get them to point C. And it just grows. And both of you are growing in your faith. And so hopefully we can take that and work with that. And it doesn't stop until Jesus returns. And so the core of discipleship is the true gospel. He is a loving father who wants to save us, but he is also a judge who must punish sin. We're all sinners and dead in our sins. We are lost without Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection that paid the penalty for our sins and purchased a place for us in heaven. The gift of salvation is by God's grace alone and must be received. Those who receive this gift want to live for the glory of Christ. They do not want to live in sin. They want to repent and turn away from sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone. This good news moves us to share in the life of Christ with others. When you realize who God is and understand the biblical gospel, then this motivates you to go out and share the good news, to go and make disciples of all nations. So to be a disciple, we need to make disciples. So how do I make disciples? So there's two things. You first start off with short-term discipleship. And so studies have shown that what a new disciple does in the first three months of his faith, he will reproduce throughout his walk. And so, for instance, if you're learning how to do anything, um, disc golf, golf, um, learning to be a nurse, anything you're doing in life, the first three months, whatever habits you pick up, good or bad, they're going to stick with you. And if it's bad, you're going to have to spend the next year or so fixing those bad habits. If it's good, you can stick with it. And so for the first three months that you're discipling somebody, it's very important what you teach them, what you show to them, um, your witness to them. Um, for example, if in the first three months of you discipling someone, you teach and model a life in pursuit of friends and loved ones with the love and truth of the gospel, then that is what their walk will consistently show, as well as multiplication being set in motion. And the same goes for consistent prayer and time in the Word. If you reveal that and you show that and you model that, most likely your disciple 
will consistently show that in their life as well. And then it goes into long-term discipleship. And so this is with, with your disciple one to, three, one to three years. And so I want to dive into Hebrews 12, I mean Hebrews 5, verse 12 through 14. It should be on awesome. So, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So when you're a baby, milk must be provided by your mother. As you grow in maturity, you're dependent upon the, abil the ability to feed yourself. So in the same way, long-term discipleship must be driven by the disciples' own pursuit of the Lord, their ability to feed themselves. So what you teach must be from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. They must be taught how to read and interpret the Word by recognizing God's voice. They must be exposed to it constantly and consistently. So my mom was my um, first um, discipler. Um, and I remember um, daily, if I was able to wake up early enough, and I come downstairs, um, she would be at the dinner table, dining room table, um, reading the Word. I'm taking notes, and that stuck with me till this day, and it still does. When I'm struggling to read the Word, I can picture her doing that every day consistently. I think my brother can attest to this. And so what you model is so important for your disciple. And what's crazy is that I don't think she's ever told me straight up, you have to read the Word. You have to read the Bible every day. And I think my brother can say yes to that too. I don't think she's told him that too. But why do I do it? Because she was just doing it. She didn't have to say anything. She just showed me. She just lived it out. And because of that, it has such a huge impact on my life. And to this day, again, I hear her voice when I'm struggling. Not her voice telling me to read the word, but just seeing her in my head reading. And so hopefully you can do the same for the person we're discipling. And I want to do that for Silas. I want to do that for my second son. And so I definitely need to start doing that more. <laughs> Getting up in the morning and reading so that when he comes down, he sees me. Um, so you must teach, secondly, you must teach how to recognize God's voice so that they can hear it even when you're not discipling them. Because there's going to be a time when you part ways. It's not bad. Um, can be various situations. Why? But um, so we always ask ourselves, I know a lot of us, me especially, like how can I hear God's voice amidst, amidst so many other voices, especially the evil one. Even Christians can give you false information sometimes. So how do we hear God's voice reign out true over anybody's voice? How do we recognize it? Um, and I think it was J.D. Greer, and I think Pogum was with me during this conference. And so I always remember this illustration about the phone call. And so let's say my phone um, is face down, and then my wife calls me. And I just pick it up. I don't even look at who's calling me. And I say hello. And then she says hello. Immediately, I know it's my wife without even looking at it. I can recognize her voice. And why is that? Why can't I recognize her voice so clearly? It's because I spend more time with her than anybody here. I spend time daily with her. I share with her. Um, I cry with her. Um, I live life with her. Every day I see her. And so that's the key. If you can't hear God's voice, you need to ask yourself, am I spending time daily with him? And when I say daily, I mean throughout the day, not just once a day. In the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon. Daily spending time with him, consistent time. 
spend time with him more than you spend time with anybody else. And I promise you, you're going to hear his voice clearer, clearer than anybody else's voice. And so hopefully we do that. We spend time daily with him. So that's how we can recognize his voice. Side note, um, this has nothing to do with sermons, but I always like to think about games we can play during like church retreats. And I think God was speaking to me about it. feels like, so I think I came up with a game. And so look forward to it for our next retreat where someone comes up here and they have blindfold and everybody groups up. And then someone just randomly says their name and they have to guess who said it. <laughs> so I don't know how it worked out. We'll see if it works out. But anyway, going back to the message. Okay. So, um, I chose to speak on discipleship and God leading me to read Matthew 28. I believe he is concerned about the lack of discipleship in my life, in our church, as well as many churches. So it's not just us. Um, I have to admit, like, honestly, myself, I've been lacking in discipling somebody, you know, one-on-one -on -one time, seeking them out, sacrificing time to read the word with them, pray with them, and to just grow them. Um, as I grow myself, and so um, you might all feel the same way. And I feel like there are some people here who feel the same way. So I don't know if you feel the same way as me, but discipleship is definitely lacking in our church. Um, but we're not alone in this. Many pastors and speakers who visit other churches have observed this problem as well. Spiritual maturity doesn't just happen by going to church on Sunday, praying and read the word, even though those things are important. Um, we must also have discipleship. Christians training younger believers how to live out their Christian lives. And when I say younger believers, I do not mean age. I mean young in terms of spiritual maturity. Sharing and showing how to live out their lives in different situations that will arise as a Christian. And there are going to be many situations in our lives. It's sad to see that so few Christians have been discipled. As I said, I'm guilty of this, and I also see this happening in other believers' lives, especially here in our church. I even know some pastors who have not been discipled and have no clue how to disciple others. The most basic essential part of the Great Commission is being left out. Bible studies and house church are great, but there needs to be initiative to meet with each other personally. I've been very encouraged by Judy recently. Um, reaching out one-on-one -on -one to people, um, trying to have coffee with them. And that's what it takes. It starts with that, just having coffee, um, inviting them out to dinner, lunch, whatever. Um, but starting to get those discipleship steps in motion. So um, we need not only share knowledge, but we also have to take action. And so what does that action look like? And so we're going to reread Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the subject and goal of this teaching? Um, the answer is obedience to the Lord's commands. The commission charges us with teaching obedience. Many times when we read the Great Commission, we feel we are called to communicate all the commands of Christ, and there are many, um, for sure at least ten. If we committed to that, um, task. It would be a lifetime commitment with a handful of disciples. Good news is, compared to teaching commands, teaching obedience can be accomplished in a short time. The goal is that when that day comes for you to move on from your disciple, like I said, there's going to be a time when life situations causes you and your disciple to part ways. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. They might be moving to another um, state, country, um, various other situations. But when that time comes, Discipleship should continue as the disciple discovers by force of habit, obeys the commands of Christ. 
So do not just teach do's and don'ts um, from the Bible. Instead, fulfill the Lord's expectation. Teach obedience. And so we're going to see examples of God's commands um, in Acts 2, verse 37 through 47. So as we read this, if you can try to take note of any commands that you see that God is um, sharing with us. So starting from verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, fell, and, to, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And if you're able to take note, I'm going to go over real quick um, some of the commands that we see in what we just read. And so first, repentance and faith in verse 38, the command of baptism in verse 39, the command of love, fellowship, service, and worship in verse 42 and 47. I know I'm going kind of fast right now, sorry. The command of observance, read it by yourself and look for these commands. The command of observance of the Lord's Supper, verse 42 and 46. The command of giving, in verse 45. The command of prayer, in verse 42. The command of the Great Commission, in verse 38 and 47. While this list is not all of the Christ's commands, it does, not give us a, it does give us a starting point from which to teach the habit of obedience. The greatest resource we have in making disciples is our time, and praise God for it. We must manage our schedule and prioritize time with the faithful who would take what is modeled and be able to teach others. We live out the gospel and show others what the life of Christ looked like. To strive to live like Christ no matter where we are in life, no matter what situation, our ups and downs. To teach the word, to have conversations influenced by the word reading the word together, and learning to interpret it correctly, having Holy Spirit-filled reading and praying, then mobilizing those disciples to repeat this process until all have heard the good news. I suggest you begin by utilizing a Bible study method with existing believers. So when you find your disciple, start a Bible study method with them. There's many out there, and I'm about to show you one soon. Encourage them to model this in their homes and workplaces. Families that study the word together will impact their communities. Only when we connect with people can we deserve to influence their decisions. And so I want to show you, if Tim can put it up, something that was taught to me. Um, it's the space acrostic. So when you're re reading the word, if you want to absorb as much as you can with the word, here's one way of studying the Bible. Um, whatever passage you're on, um, whatever section you're on that you're reading that day, you can think about space, the space acrostic. And so you start with when you're reading and you're reflecting over it, is there a sin to confess? Is God revealing a sin to confess that you see happening in this word? Um, is there a promise to claim? 
Is there a promise that God has given you or shown to you, revealed to you that you can claim for yourself? A, is there an attitude that needs to be changed? You see an attitude in this word that needs to be changed and you see it in yourself as well. C, is there a command that God is giving you to obey? And then finally, E, is there an example to follow in what you just read? And so you can take this, use it if you need it. And so it's this space acrostic. And so um, I'm going to do the ending prayer differently. Um, so I want to ask you all to pray to yourselves. You don't have to pray out loud. But I want you to pray and ask God who your potential disciple is. God has placed you in many people's lives. And so take this time to pray that God would um, just reveal to you, and he probably already has, that you'll be able to hear who God has revealed to you to reach out to to disciple. Um, if you already know who it is, um, pray for them. Pray how God can continue your discipleship with that person. Also pray that God would um, find someone to disciple you if you haven't had somebody. Um, just pray how God leads you in the in the just aspect of discipleship. Um, hopefully he reveals to you um, someone in this church that desperately needs it. Um, then after that, um, I'll close this in prayer after I hear all the voices murmuring down. So let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for all that you've taught us. We thank you so much for this word that we just dived into. I thank you so much for using me, and I just pray that we leave encouraged, emboldened, ready to make disciples, God, ready to obey your commands. God, everyone who found who they need a disciple, I pray that they take time, sacrifice their time, to reach out to them, to grow them in the Spirit, God. All of us have somebody in our lives that we can teach, that we can pour upon love, pour upon care. And Father, I know multiplication we set in motion if that happens. Use us mightily, God. 
convict our hearts, open up our schedules, let us rearrange what we need to rearrange so that we can meet with these people. Father, let us look within ourselves and how we can more obey your commands, God. Fix our eyes upon you, God. Let you increase in our lives and let us decrease. God, thank you again for this time in the word. We love you, God, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.